The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. You guys would not believe how bad the count went this time. No, Don, <laughs> they probably would. And tonight, we're going to delve into the secret origins, man, of Generation X. No, really, we are, actually. We're going to look at the secret <laughs> origins of Generation X. And to help us with uh, the secret origins of Generation X is our favorite Gen Xer, Jack Ward. Still in my Welcome originally packed in my original packaging <laughs> Un unmolested from my original packaging there you go how are you tonight gents pretty good pretty good um you know hail healthy and ready to explore the world of gen x man <laughs> i i don't know why i keep taking on that voice that's really a 90s kid thing yeah. maybe it's a millennials yeah. Uh, yeah but that they would be gen xers right the, the wait to be a millennial, what year do you have to be born? Is it 85 or 95? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Okay, it doesn't matter then. Okay, amen. That's good. <laughs> See, now that's a Gen X attitude. Whatever. It doesn't matter. That Yeah, there we go. There we go. Uh, well, we did have to live through the 80s. We got the splendor of the 80s and the suckiness of the 90s. So, therefore, hmm. we've earned our whatever <laughs> well, attitude. Here, here they are. I'll, I, I will just. This is according to a particular website. The breakdown is this. Generation X are people mm -hmm. born from either 65 to 76. Millennials mm -hmm. are 77 to 95. Gen Z, iGen, or centen Centennials mm -hmm. are born 96 and above. And baby Boomers, of course, are 46 to 64. And then we have before 45 right. is the silent generation or the traditionalists. And then there's just the right. dead. <laughs> which, which surprisingly spans a number of generations. Going back to does. the beginning of time. <laughs> so. Yeah, I believe there's been dead for a while. Yeah, so you yeah. guys are all Gen Xers? <laughs> technically. Yeah, we're, technically. We're all Gen Xers. I was born in 71. Okay. Don was born in 71. No, 72, right? The end of 70. The end of 70. The end of okay. 70. There we go. Okay. And Jack, when were you born? 66, my friend. The year of really? Star Trek. Hmm? Wow. Yeah. I actually didn't, yo, I always assumed you were about the same age we were. I didn't this, realize you were that is, much older. This is, well, this is why I'm not into anime. Oh, It's literally true. like, I, there was very, very few anime shows available during that very peak time. Like, I mean, it was like Battle yeah, right. of the Universe was about it. Kind of, Battle of the Planets. Battle of the Planets, there you go. Battle of the Planets was about yep. it. Kind of thing, so. Actually, and that wasn't until the end of the 70s. Yep. Yeah, actually... This is going to come back because there's there's kind of a catch, but we have to sort of build up to it. I think. <laughs> okay. Well, all right then. We better start on our journey back to the origins of Gen X, man. <laughs> all right. Mm. So, where do we start in our journey to uh, to wherever, man? Um, I think the first thing to remember when you talk about like baby boomers and Gen X and millennials, 
all of those terms are a complete crock of shit. Yeah, yeah, okay. They're essentially marketing terms that people kind of throw around trying to kind of isolate your audience so you can sell Mm -hmm. them their their own youthful identity back. Because the idea of Generation X, it doesn't really come around until the 90s. That's, okay. that's when you sort of first start hearing the term. And, and it's basically the grunge kids is, is what they were referring to. Mm-hmm. And again, it, it, was, it was strictly a marketing thing. Now, I think we can kind of use it for sake of um, what will actually be a more broad discussion. But mm-hmm. we sort of need somewhere to start. Because I think back there was a book called Generation Ech, which mm-hmm. I, I can't recommend enough. Came out in the early 90s. And one of the things they talked about, it was a critique of Generation X. And it's a mm-hmm. comedy book, has comic strips by Evan Dorkin in it. So uh, one of the things that they talked about was that one of the defining characteristics of Generation X was that they were essentially the media generation. Mm-hmm. That yeah. they grew up with like their entertainment more than, say, life. Mm-hmm. And that was where you had like our parents, the baby boomers were known for like the sixties and protesting and burning bras and not going to war and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Whereas our generation is kind of the first generation of slacktivists. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. th- that whole slacktivism came from uh, um, a particular podcaster that I've lost his name now. He, he, he mm-hmm. actually coined the term way back and he is one of those, but y- you got to go back to the original, term that became popularized came from a book by a Canadian, Douglas mm-hmm. Copeland. He wrote yeah, the book yeah, Douglas yeah. Generation yeah. X Tales for an Accelerated Culture in ninety one. So mm-hmm. so Eck, Generation Eck was was reflecting back upon that, right? It was sort of yeah, the yeah, reaction to that. to that particular yeah. thing. But it was extremely popular and it was basically the first time they really started to look at that generations in that way, like really identifying, like people sort of said, you know, generally all these young folk and these old folk, and they Mm -hmm. came back and forth between that. And, you know, they talked about baby boomers, but they didn't talk about them in the marketing ways that we see nowadays in the same way. Mm -hmm. They, they did, but that came much later because that was in the eighties is when you really heard like the idea of the boomer being a thing. Mm -hmm. And it was because they were trying to sell them insurance policies and, and minivans. Mm, True. Like that's one of the reasons why, because of the boomers is why you have like the peanuts characters hawking insurance. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Because it's, it's Mm -hmm. capitalizing on their nostalgia and things that they were familiar with. And it's kind of a, an early weird example of that. Hmm. Yeah. Because, again, the, the terms, they're generally, they come about as marketing. Because you want some way to, like I said, to isolate your, your group and brand them. Because what's interesting is that Copeland was originally hired to write a styles guide for the quote-unquote new generation. Well, part of the problem like, too was that we didn't have a we didn't have a name for like the first thirty years, basically, because mm-hmm. the best thing that came up was we were the baby bus generation because the birth rate dropped yeah. after baby booms, kind of thing. So, right, yeah, yeah. So, in typical Slack division, it took us thirty years to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we're like generation like X, man. Let's just go with X. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because we had just declining whatever. fertility rates occurred between sixty four and seventy eight. They were saying that reason too. So mm-hmm. there you go. Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt, John. Don. There you go. 
oh no that's that and at all that's all like kind of part of it again it's 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 the and this is where i think the idea of like what a millennial is is difficult mm-hmm. to pin down mm-hmm. be, because again it's a relatively new term and that idea millennials are people born in like 85 you realize that means when people are complaining about those damn kids they're complaining about 40 year olds mm-hmm. yeah like i thought millennials were people born in the new millennium so they would be in like their teens or their 20s kind of thing Nope, nope. Well, they do nope, go up. To, they I do can. go up to ninety-five. So my my son is just just my my oldest son was born in ninety-six. So he's just missed being a millennial. He's he's mm-hmm. Gen Z. So it was a huge span, right? Seventies. It's actually millennials are yep. seventy-seven and ninety-five. So actually, one of my sisters is no, she's still I guess still a Generation X because before they used to call her a millennial. So it's. It's been flexible, like you say, because it's not yeah. exactly mm, yeah. a definitive Ooh, science for sure. Yeah, and it and it depends. Once you you split them up, it depends kind of what you uh, what you start mm-hmm. ascribing to them. Because mm-hmm. that was right. a thing in the '90s. You got Generation X because they discovered things you could sell to the young people. Yeah, you could mm-hmm. sell them grunge music and flannel and stuff, and. And that became the 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 I guess the package that became Generation X, yeah. right? And again, it's it's years later. It, it's it's kind of applied retroactively because all of this these kind of concepts are. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, that's true. It's it's a semi useful I think place to start mm-hmm. because going back, I do think like say our generation is kind of the first really sort of like media saturated to the point that you could live more of your life. I guess the term isn't vicariously, but virtually than you had to for real. Right. So we're the first generation that could live in uh, a media world instead of the real world is what you're saying. Yeah. Like, like ours is the first, probably first cyberpunk generation. If you want to look at it that way, we were the first generation that, you know, parents, popped us in front of the television and the television brought us up kind of we were raised by media yeah because the boomers kind of were too but it was the idea that there just wasn't that much television to plop them in front of right because because remember when our parents were kids like in the 50s tv might only broadcast for four hours a day yeah no my dad's very clear about you know and it was usually in the evening so it was a family affair kind of thing except for the odd you know early morning show like you know howdy doody or something like that for the most mm-hmm. part those things were weekly or you know we didn't even have saturday morning cartoons af- effectively put in place until years later right so yep exactly yeah and but but in the 70s they kind of perfected what would be basically the 24-hour media they... the 24-hour tv comes around basically well okay properly here it basically start it starts in that era like the 70s tv changes because in the early 70s the primetime access rule i think it's 72 comes into effect which basically says that the networks can no longer run all the television that's on there the every channel has to buy from independent sources mm-hmm. and yeah. at that point you start to get syndicated tv so tv becomes filled with reruns you start to get more independent channels you start to get all kinds of stuff that we wouldn't have seen before then. 
right? Before then, it was just the three networks and they were, and now the news and broadcasting <laughs> that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, I, I think I think what you get, it's not just like the 24-hour media. What mm -hmm. ends up happening for us is it's this bizarre, again, cyberpunk-esque 24-hour lifestyle is what happens. Okay. Because I got 15 events that kind of conflagrate in that direction. Mm -hmm. And it does start with TV because what I'm saying is kind of the turning point for all of that was Sesame Street. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, it all, so Gen X starts with Sesame Street. You mean our babysitter, the thing that raised us? That's part of it. Um, the other thing that happens, because for anybody who doesn't know, Sesame Street starts in 1969. Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid, before I started school, and I started school in like 74, Sesame Street was everywhere. It yeah. was it was marketed to death, and it's kind of impressive to me looking back that that happened in such a short period of time. Right. And w one of the things that I think happens because of that that people don't think of is Sesame Street's overnight success to that degree, especially considering mm -hmm. it was on PBS, it was on public TV, which nobody gave a shit about. Yeah. It showed people that there was money in marketing to kids, and there was money in, like, edutainment. Yes. And I think that was one of the big catalysts that set off kind of that media, like that media generation craze, because we were one of the first generations that there was a lot of cross marketing aimed at us. So does that mean that um, Saturday morning is also a part of this? Like the Saturday morning lineup? Because the Saturday morning lineup does go into the 60s, doesn't it? It starts, It Saturday morning kind of starts in like the mid-60s. Mm -hmm. And I think what what ends up happening, and this is where it, it's it's one of them tricky things. This is all just kind of stuff that I was sort of mulling over. There's there's very little academic value in what I'm saying. Right. But it, I Don't think, worry, they know. <laughs> if you've heard the show before, yeah. Yep. I think you're looking at, again, it's kind of that conflagration mm -hmm. because Saturday morning, we've talked about it. It starts as like, just like a dumping ground. Mm -hmm. People yeah. realize kids are getting up to watch. So you start seeing new programming being made for Saturday morning. Which makes sense. It really does again, pick up in the seventies. And I'm wondering if what ends up happening is again, it's, it might be kind of a parallel development. It might be kind of synergistic there which I'm going to mm -hmm. claim as a word. Mm -hmm. But it's that idea that you're seeing kind of the rise of the child. That again... The rise, okay. As an important consumer, you mean? Yeah, that idea that we can okay. market directly to kids. Because if you remember when you go to the 50s or the, the 60s, like kids marketing wasn't very sophisticated. And a lot of it was, hey, kids, tell your mom you want chocolate blasted Choco Puffs. Oh, boy. Yeah, when you get to, like, our generation, you get to the 70s, they're kind of skipping the middleman. Mm-hmm. That they're marketing directly to kids. They're telling kids, you want this. You know. Yeah. That they're 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 ignoring the parents altogether, kind of, in, in, in some cases. And like I say, I think that's what it is. I think it's, it's... Sesame Street, to me, is the most blatant example, just because... I remember it being everywhere. I'm amazed how much it came up. And then I remember there were, when we were kids, there were so many ripoffs. 
in right. in so many media. Yes. Well, okay. What do you mean ripoffs in what way? Can you give examples? Uh, well, for example, Sesame Street, they did a magazine that it was a monthly magazine that tied in, had the same characters and that, uh, that was followed by an electric company magazine, which was another children's television workshop show that came out for slightly older kids for slightly mm-hmm. older than that. They did three to one contact that had a magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were uh, like a metric shit ton of kids, like magazines like that semi uh, educational semi entertainment that came out you had like dynamite i think one was called bananas you had owl magazine you had cricket oh yeah i remember all that you had but that was an age of magazines right that was the last great age of magazines effectively it when was people were reading magazines and cared about them because we didn't have the internet yet it was and what what we were finding happened after the success of sesame street is they were basically mm-hmm. doing glossies directly for the kids yes like, kids' magazines beforehand were kind of... They weren't entirely different, but they didn't typically tie in with some other big marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. Like, if you remember Cricket, Cricket was very old-fashioned. That was what, like, kids' magazines from, like, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s were more like. I remember Cricket, yeah. But after Sesame Street, a lot of them were glossy. They had, like, the big picture spreads, bright colors. Uh, they would come up with characters. Mm-hmm. Other than high, highlights had like Goofus and Gallant and that. But right. these other ones would do characters and they would market those characters. So like you wouldn't get a Goofus and Gallant t-shirt back in the day. But mm-hmm. I could get a Dr. Zed t-shirt from like Owl Magazine and I could buy like... Uh, I don't know who th- Goofus and Gallant are. Who are they? And you're the old one. Wow. You know, that yeah, was... would have thought. That was odd uh, from... from if, if you remember highlights it was it was like an edge i forget who put it out it was an educational magazine for kids mm-hmm. and like goofus and gallant were like goofus was it was it was it teaching kids how to behave it'd be like on the bus goofus likes to punch old ladies in the face and be in gallant offers them a seat and oh, it was that kind yeah. of thing yeah, there was there was various ver- variations on stuff like that too like yeah yeah those were popular. i could have sworn that even saturday night live did a parody yeah. of goofus and gallant or something yeah. back in the day sure by or the way, it's always like good it. to, mm-hmm. to call your guest the old one. That's always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, we, we ascertained that at the beginning there that you're you the. Uh, I know. I'm just teasing. We established. Uh, sorry, we established that you're the geezer in this Thank group, you. so yeah. we're just we're just reinforcing yeah. it. It's by like four years, but that's still, an even, that's an even better title, <laughs> the geezer. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go, old man. So anyway, all right. So um, don't worry. We respect our elders here. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, well, at least you're, at least you're a Gen Xer. So we're, you're not a boomer or anything like that. I mean, you. Okay, okay boomer. boomer. Yeah. <laughs> so here, here's, here's something, uh, if I can take a slight tangent, because I think, sure. um, what identifies those generations, uh, even more so is about, uh, a, a sm- like a small five year window of the kind of mm-hmm. stuff that people would watch on television. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like I had a girlfriend who was a couple of years younger than me. And it was interesting mm-hmm. when we when we, you know, compared various different childhood joys of crap television. Um, mm-hmm. But those joys, those childhood and it usually be like the shows that I would watch were stuff that maybe even were already done, but you would see them after school as well. So you yes, would have yeah. these two different kind of things. You would have shows that would be 
finished their run, but just finished their run, so they were after school, right? So I was mm-hmm. looking, I was thinking about shows. So, for example, um, did you grow up with Happy Days, Brady Bunch, Little House in the Prairie? Mm-hmm. So those are, you know, those are shows that like around the 70s, early 80s, right? Yeah. Or did you grow up with Family Ties, Cosby, Wonder Years, Golden Girls? So you got early mm. 80s, mid 80s to early 90s. Or as mm. you find Boy Meets World, Fresh Prince, Home Improvement, yeah. right? Those are the 90s people mm. into that, into the mid 90s. Yeah. And then even like Saved by the Bell and Full House and Roseanne. So, and then once you get up to, and what's really fascinating to me is that once you get up to more modern day age, those shows become so quirky that maybe, first of all, uh, media is diverse to the point that families don't watch them anymore to the same degree. And so they become mm-hmm. a little more subverted. So, like, I don't see a lot of families sitting down to watch Arrested Development, right? And no. and, and now, even if you're watching Modern Family, you got to be a bit more liberal of a Modern Family because, you know, while, you know, LGBT is, is much more universal... There are still, I'm sure, families that wouldn't want to, to watch that because they're far more conservative and they would not want little kids thinking about all, you know, the various different sexual jokes that would come in from that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I'm, again, I'm not justifying, I'm not saying it's a good idea, I'm just saying, that just honestly understanding how family dynamics works. So, what's cool about that for me is um, when I start talking to people about those kind of, like, what were those shows that they grew up loving the most, you can almost start to identify their marketing sector. And that that yeah. simply yeah. identifies very quickly what their generation brand is. Yeah, because... Yes, I think so. I think you're right, Jack. Yeah. I think you hit on something weird. Okay. That I think when you look at it that way, like, like you said, when you get to more modern times, things are more diverse. You don't get kind of everybody consuming the same stuff i'm kind of willing to to say that that would be what a millennial is is they're the people who kind of grew up in that more diversified media stream Mm -hmm. and then that's what makes them our replacement because we grew up consuming all the same stuff right like i absolutely hated the cosby show and like it's hundred thousand like clones but I knew what they were. I I saw them. I had no choice. Whereas nowadays you can ask well, people. Yeah, when there's only three channels. Yeah. <laughs> and nowadays like you can ask people, what do you think of BoJack Horseman? Who? And yeah. because there's, there's – you get that more di- distance. You don't get that kind of shared experience. And millennials are born from 77 to 95. So one could make the easy argument that the, the internet is pretty pervasive in their lives. Right. Yeah. For for like, the most part, unless you're on the very early edge of it, for the most part of it, you probably didn't have a life without the internet in one way or another. Yeah, that's that's why to me, a, mm. a millennial is somebody born at the millennium. Right. And that's why I I I I think you're absolutely right about that. And by my definition, because I don't like to break into like all the super specific groups, because that's playing marketing's game. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right, and I think that's because the internet is what leads to the diversification. That actually comes up in a couple of couple of examples. <laughs> uh, okay. But uh, you're... Well, let's move on. Okay, so okay. yeah, sorry, sorry, Don. Oh, no, I was going to say, so I think that that's, that would be, I think we now have a working definition of millennial. It's somebody who grew up, we grew up 
corralled by media. Millennials grow up in open range, like free range media. Mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, we were much more siloed media. We we're much more mm-hmm. limited. But, um, you know, we were still the last generation, basically, that grew up with network media, where the media was yeah. still. All, Although, again, a little tricky there because we, there were independent stations during our time, which didn't exist, for example, the generation before us. Mm-hmm. They were. Like we, did, we were in a transitional period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, like I say, for us, it was more a corral because um, hmm. if you want to get to the next, the, the next thing on my list. Let's do it. The next event kind of inadvertently starts that kind of thing because I would say the next big kind of telling event for generation x would be jaws okay yes yep because that makes the summer blockbuster and then once the summer blockbuster becomes a thing that's where that corralling starts because every summer everybody would go to see the big blockbusters yes yeah yeah that's when it started it starts with jaws Mm -hmm. although there is some argument that it starts with star wars but either way they're going a year apart so it doesn't really matter actually and star wars is something different there too but close encounters came the same (laughs) year as star wars right so it was 77 i think so and jaws was 75 so yeah yeah jaws is kind it's generally considered the first summer because summer used to be the dumping ground for the crappy movies yes because they figured everyone was going on vacation and no one would watch movies Uh yeah just like just like they assume summer is the time no one watched TV, right? Yeah, for the longest time too. And then Jaws changes, and then that's again part of that idea that now our free time that we're not spending out doing stuff, we're now mm. engorging on 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 movies, on the big budget, the big expensive movies that everybody feels compelled to go see, and that's that's why I think the the blockbuster. For that idea of a a, a media enriched generation, that's a big mm-hmm. uh, step in that, because like I say, that's where the corralling is. That now in the summer, we're waiting for the big movies that we're going to go sequester yes. ourselves and watch during a time when, up until that one movie, nobody thought anyone would ever want to do that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. That's true. You showed movies in the fall and in the spring when people would actually go to see movies, not when not in the summer. Because mm. we all know kids are going to be out playing in the forests and the fields and everything. They're not, they don't care about those movie things in the summer, except maybe during the summer nights. Yep. Summer nights. It's really, though, interesting because it is a transitional time because I think I remember mm-hmm. in those 80s times was when they were playing with the summer replacement show format, right? Mm-hmm. So we started having mm-hmm. these transitional uh, stuff that would that would play with, you know, well, wh- how much content we, can we really get out of people for that reason? Because some people never would go on holiday and the whole bit. And I was just thinking when yeah. you were talking about independent stations, because, you know, we all grew up with uh, the hilarious House of Frankenstein, uh, Frightenstein. Uh, Frankenstein. And yes. I, I was thinking just when I thought about that, I thought, you know what? That probably would have made its own YouTube channel if it did it today. It wouldn't be on mm-hmm. some network station, somebody's house or whatever. They wouldn't have bothered giving them any funding mm-hmm. for it, but somebody would have, you know, put together enough funding and did it as a YouTube channel. Yeah. If, kind of, so yeah. it well, was almost that kind of, like, so independent stations doing those kind of on the cheap shows um, right. were, were ways of identifying how could you not play with the big boys? Yeah. Yes. Actually, a good example of that is there was a Weird Al Yankovic movie called UHF. UHF. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of about that. Yep. 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, about the not quite the independent broadcasters. I want to call them pirate, but they're they're in, the indie broadcasters right. who are just slapping together what they can, or sometimes those cable access in some places too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we, which we still have here in London. We still have a cable access channel that you yep. can only get, and it's just basically look. They even have their own news show and everything, and it's. Um, but they're not like it's, it's okay. They're not like uh, Mystery Science Theater. They're not set up like they like for many years. And we talked about this in another mm-hmm. episode. You would have like a horror host and horror stories and stuff like that. They tend to be little interview shows or slight news pieces yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Those kind of yeah, creative are, yeah. elements are pretty much no longer there anymore. They've moved off yes. to the internet in one way or another. Yeah. Yep, that's true. I remember there was a time actually back in like the 80s and 90s. They did try, they did stuff sure. like that. They even had their own music video show yep. at one point yep. back when music videos were king. And they did try those things. But again, there was less, I'm talking about time pre-internet or early internet yep. when they didn't, that they didn't have a lot of competition. They had much higher viewership. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yeah. But I agree with you, Don. I agree that Jaws actually has a massive thing. You're forgetting one minor detail, though, that goes along with that. It's not just that they discovered they can market movies in the summer. Uh-huh. The thing that Star Wars introduces is that movie merchandise also makes a shit ton of money. Yeah. Okay. And that's what I think is Star Wars. Jaws didn't merchandise as much, but Star Wars is the merchandise king. It's the thing that injects the real money into things. That the movie is almost a trailer for the merchandise. Yep. And and it's it's again that idea that when when Jaws became the first block summer blockbuster, they didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Star Wars is where they figure out what to do with it. And again, you're absolutely yeah. right. And I think what ends up happening at that point too Mm-hmm. is Star Wars is the point where it's okay to 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 kind of be a fanboy. Mm-hmm. Like you had the, 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 the hardcore Trek fans. Right. In like the late 60s, early 70s, before the show got syndicated. Right. But they were kind of their own thing. Star Wars is a hit with everybody. And it became totally immersive. You could have like Star Wars everything. You could like spill like your your Star Wars themed like cereal on your Star Wars t shirt, eating it out of your Star Wars bowl at like your table with your Star Wars like uh, tablecloth on it, sitting in your Star Wars chair, like watching ads for Star Wars action figures on TV. And and mm-hmm. yeah, it it was the beginning of that that I think. I'm well. I'll say it. I, it was kind of the beginning of the hardcore fandom mm-hmm. that you would see develop later on. I would challenge that, though. Yes. I would challenge that. So I think I thought I, you might. I think Star Wars is the beginning of the marketing machine, but I don't think mm-hmm. the fandom aspect comes in because you don't see Star Wars convention, not for years. Maybe not even right. so much today. Right. So it's it's a it's a mass appeal. But it's that Star Trek, which, by the way, had a larger mass appeal earlier on, of course. Um, of course. <laughs> uh, but those people were basically running the conventions. It only sort of decided, well, hey, you know, we can bring in other things, too. Let's make it a science fiction convention, you know, or let's make it a uh, comic convention. But it was Star Trek that was starting all of those conventional things, which is really, again, I would argue where the fandom comes. Because you could... As a kid, you could have Star Wars toys and not be like what we would now say, like a fan fan. 
right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you enjoyed it, you would play it and stuff like that, but you wouldn't know, you know, which, you know, which color lightsaber uh, uh, Luke had compared to Ben Kenobi and what that denoted, you know, <laughs> you know, and how many, mm-hmm. how many years it takes for you to develop your own lightsaber in the way that you, de- you know, all those kinds of things you wouldn't know. It was just a fantasy that you could enjoy to be able to play. Star Wars took a lot right. longer to really develop the the crazy fandom, and I think I think it's because the blockbuster movie doesn't itself um, easily translate into fandom the same way at, at early on. It does now more so, but earlier on, as like a regular series would. Yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. you're right, but I would frame it off differently. Mm-hmm. Because I think when you had like the the earliest like uh, hardcore Trekkies, there was kind of a thing in the f- started in like the fifties in the sixties. The Star Trek fandom comes out of this. The fans were different. They were kind of because again, a lot of them were were maybe a little older. They weren't kids. They would be like like twenties, early teens, maybe maybe even their thirties kind of thing. Because this this ties in with another point on my list actually. But the fandom for, like, old-school Star Trek, because they're the ones that started the conventions and that, they were kind of more focused. They were kind of more, um, more, I'm going to, well, intellectual is probably the only word I can come up with. It's not exactly the correct one. Mm-hmm. But there was, uh, you, you saw from that angle in those days a bit of a sophistication about it. They were nerds. Mm-hmm. Let's just just call it what they were they were they were they, straight out nerds right so they were but they they weren't exactly the kind of nerd that when you get to the 80s people thought of no they were the poindexter nerds yeah and and then that's and when you get star wars you get the development of of of, of a fandom that's kind of um maybe a little more visceral would mm-hmm. be the term a little less emotionally detached like the, the 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 early Trek fans would like debate and discuss things that came up in an episode, but it would be like a, a debate or a discussion. <laughs> in the Corbomite maneuver, when you moved on your left left side and and hit the third button from the blue, why did you change that during the Romulan engagement? You know, <laughs> like it's like well then, and then that's where you, you get the very yeah. famous Saturday Night Live uh, Shatner's <laughs> get a life, move out of your parents' basement. You know, kiss a girl, yep. go date somebody, right? Kind of thing. Yep. And, but that that but this, comes later in Star Wars with somebody like the Star Wars kid, right? It, and it actually that's and that's exactly right. And that actually comes later in Star Trek mm-hmm. because fandom at the time, like especially, like, why don't you kiss a girl? Well, I believe more than half the f- hardcore fans, by a slight percentage, were female back then. Mm-hmm. And the and the most of the people that were writing like the the earliest like Star Trek fan fiction at were the oh, female yeah, they were fans. Women for the yeah. most part, yeah. It's it's Sandra that idea Marshak that is famous for yeah. starting that up. Yeah, yeah, and it's that idea that it's after you get the Star Wars kids that you start getting that <laughs> kind of thing mm-hmm. because it's that idea that your entertainment starts becoming more immersive. Mm-hmm. And it's part of, I think, that that corralling. And then that's that's one of the things that becomes like a, a Generation X trope, for lack of a better term, right. that they're the ones that they've lived their life virtually through like movies and, and books and they don't do things. I think 
the hardcore fandom that you see coming out of Star Wars and when Star Trek comes back in like the mid to late 70s that you kind of start seeing infiltrating the Star Trek fandom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's more of that immersive, more hardcore escapist, less intellectual kind of take on things. You know where I th I saw the very first what we would call like fandom fandom uh, raise its its head in Star Wars. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Wookie Life Day. Oh God! Right, because <laughs> everybody who enjoyed the movies suddenly decided this is crap. This is not what Star Wars is, right? So then suddenly yeah. they say, well, then what is Star Wars? And then that became the big conversation of what became Star Wars. Because until then, it was very mm -hmm. limited as to the amount of shows. When you had this sort of alternate kind of look at what st the Star Wars universe was, that suddenly made people's heads explode. Yeah. <laughs> and that sort of that sort of comes up uh, later. That's kind of more around like the Empire sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Because, like you say, you do have a little more material coming out and people are starting to get picky and people are starting, the hardcore fans are starting to break into little armed camps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, it's it's because it's it's that more immersive. Your fandom starts meaning more to you than it would have, like back in the day it would be, I'm a lawyer, but I enjoy reading science fiction novels. Now it's like, I'm a sci-fi fan and I know more about it than you and you're just a poser. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a lawyer. <laughs> Maybe. That's my Clark Kent job, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because there's there's another kind of, like, the way I notice that sort of thing happen mm -hmm. actually comes from another one of the points on my list, watching the change up in fandom for that. Okay, which was? And that's the another major event, I think, is Dungeons & Dragons. I suspected you were going to say that. All yeah. right, so... Um, the, the, now D and D is it the D and D itself, or is it a certain edition of D and D that really changes things? Like, because D and D is around for a little bit before it becomes actually super popular. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yay, mazes and so, monsters. There we go. <laughs> Th thank you, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is 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 our is our spiritual mentor for making Dungeons and Dragons popular for all the wrong reasons. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Exactly. And it's, that's, you know, it's evil and satanic. Awesome. <laughs> that's right. And, and that was where I noticed the first change in the fandom. Cause like, like we said before, I started playing a few years before that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, the people who played, it was typically like a college crowd, an educated crowd, um, a well-read crowd. They tend to be a little more like intellectually detached. Mm -hmm. And then when we found out it was evil and satanic, that's when like all like the, the 14-year-olds the and that got into it and the people getting into it specifically to piss off mom and dad. And that was <laughs> yep. where I noticed you would get these players that, again, tying in with what happens with your Star Trek and your Star Wars fans, that the, 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 the fandom, the gaming, it became more immersive. It became a bigger part of your personality than it had been just prior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, being a gamer was a big deal. And, and it was. And part of it, too, is because you could still, like, get beaten up for it back then. So there was, like, a, 
a safety in numbers, we the brave outcast kind of feeling to it. <laughs> but there's, but it's kind of weird though, because at the same time though, everybody's brother and sister had basically played D and D because again, it becomes super popular for a little while there. Yeah. So there was a weird phase where everyone, even the bullies, had actually, or the jocks, had played D and D. They yep. actually had, now they might not have stuck with it for more than a couple sessions at most or something like that, but they'd played it like all, almost all of our generation did. Yeah, and that's why by the middle of the 70s, all the, the hate against it kind of peters out and it sort of becomes a background thing. I don't think it's the middle of the 70s. You're talking about middle of the 80s. Oh, yeah, the 80s. Like, like I was thinking yeah. like 86, 87. Because yeah, it's yeah, not... by then, it's... It's not scary. Down, yeah. yeah, everybody has some experience with it and it's not the weird, scary thing. By then, we've moved on to heavy metal as the weird, scary thing. <laughs> well, no, that was the same time as the uh, heavy metal being weird and scary was happening at the same time as D and D was. It Let's was. Say, we did a whole episode, the Satanic Panic, on that, dude. Did you already forget? Is no. your age getting to you? No, but remember <laughs> the uh, the PMRC comes out after BADD by a few years. Oh, that's true. That and that's true. Okay. And that's where I say once the PMRC happens and they have the the hearings about vile, terrible, like heavy metal music and john denver sticks up for along with d schneider that's when the focus kind of goes that way and i think part of it is because again by that point everybody's experienced D, so it's it's not right. the weird thing anymore and that's the bright shiny new thing to hate so the attention kind of the second half of the satanic panic is more and it's more recovered memory and heavy metal at that point Okay, I can see so that. I can see can that. I talk? Can I add to a, a, a couple of things that I think that add to the 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 pressure that Don's talking about on the marketing side of things is just the nature mm -hmm. of society. So I I mentioned this beforehand. Mm -hmm. We have an increase of number of households, but a decline in the average household size. Mm -hmm. And that just goes straight from 1851 all the way to like I have a, a chart here that I can give you guys to hand up. To. It's incredible to download the the downward trend, and with so the average number of people in the household are less, which means, um, like when my grandmother was quite young in like the early 1900s, she had like seven people in the family, and they mm -hmm. didn't have a lot. Like they had to wash clothes by hand, and they had one bath a week, and you know they had all these things because mm -hmm. they were constantly busy cleaning stuff, constantly busy doing work. If they were in the house, they were given a chore, so they had to get the heck out of the house, yep. right? All those kind of things. And the, and when you get older and older into the age, you've got less people in the house. A lot more uh, stuff is done for you. You know, now we have mm -hmm. rumbas and stuff like that going around cleaning the house. And, and that means you have a lot more free time and then more opportunity to indulge in this stuff that you never would have. Like my dad, he, yes. he was as much of a sci-fi nerd as I was. But there was an understanding, you know, when he grew up in, in the 60s that, okay, you're an adult now. You can enjoy it quietly mm. and, you know, on your own. But you don't talk about stuff like that. You got to take care of a family. Like, it was an entirely different kind of perspective, yeah, right? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and, and my parents used to joke about, you know, what, what, when are you going to no, no longer be Peter Pan, right? That was the big thing, right? So, when are you going to mm -hmm. stop being a kid and put stuff away and, and become... And when people got to a point where, well... I can be Peter Pan forever. I got a whole mm -hmm. house full of miniatures, and and I've got, what's stopping me from indulging in my childhood fantasies? Fantasies for all I'm still holding a job, 
you know what I mean? And stuff mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that. That yeah. was a huge changeover, right? So you've got that aspect. You've got the aspect that even, you know, portion sizes, like people started uh, fast food. Fast food made it a whole lot of different uh, effect in a society and in, in a family life where you didn't spend an hour trying to make your dinner for eight to nine people. You just like go out and pick up Kentucky Fried Chicken and come home and eat it together by the TV and, mm-hmm. and on paper plates and throw it out. So, so much of every aspect of society kept funneling us towards the idea that we, we have the opportunity to have more eyeballs to buy the stuff that they're trying to give us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think I think it's reciprocal because there's something coming up in a couple here that ties in with what you're getting at now. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's take one more tangent into gaming, uh, okay. if you don't mind. Uh, I believe, Don, you were going to talk about video games as well. Yeah, because video games and Dungeons and & Dragons are kind of two things that converge in the 90s. One of the things that Dungeons and & Dragons and role-playing games does is mm-hmm. it it creates this idea of algorithms that can simulate events and that can Mm -hmm. simulate activity and it can simulate personality okay that comes back in a bit video games are another big thing they kind of start pong in 1972 was considered the first commercially viable game but it's not actually the game that starts the gaming as a hobby The, the 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 game that starts gaming as a hobby is anyone know oh no one no one okay anyway space invaders yeah that's Space right. Invaders is the liter- is the game that basically in 1978, the year after Star Wars, and there's not much doubt it was riding a little bit of that sci-fi Star Wars boom. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes out in Japan in 78. Um, they let's see, quick notes. Uh, let's see, they had installed over a hundred thousand hundred thousand machines and made six hundred million in Japan alone. By 1980, it had. 300,000 Space Invaders machines in Japan and 60,000 in the United States. And basically it made about a billion dollars just mm-hmm. like in 1980. Okay. It was the game on every level. Um, it was the first game that actually had like high achieving for the player's score. Um, first game that actually had your, the other guy shooting back at you was mm-hmm. the first game to have multiple lives. Okay. So that whole idea that comes from Space Invaders. Um, it also the first interesting enough the first game with continuous background music. Oh wow! Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, video games did not have that before Space Invaders. And finally, most importantly, Space Invaders was the very first game to have a a, a tournament. So basically, the first esports tournament that had ten thousand players and established gaming as a mainstream hobby was a Space Invaders tournament. Wow! It happened in nineteen eighty. And it was won by uh, Rebecca Heineman. Oh, wow. And um, so, yeah, there we go. And so it was the, and this is the thing that actually transformed video games into popular culture and started the whole great video game craze. And also one more thing. So the creators of the Atari 2600 saw it being so popular in Japan, they rushed over, they grabbed it and they got the 2600 uh, with the Atari video game computer system, for they they got it for the twenty six hundred for America, and that was the thing that let the twenty six hundred become a standard in everyone's home yeah. too, because it was the killer app that made everyone wanted to play. Yeah. 
So Space Invaders was literally the game that basically made video games popular culture. Honestly, yeah, it was out, my... Period. I remember playing Atari with my buddy. It was his system. And I remember we played Space Invaders. He had like eight or nine different games, but it was Space Invaders we played more than anything else. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yep. Because you had... So, mm-hmm. oh, Sorry, go. Oh, I was going to say, you had similar games to early video games before because you have few there's like there's like uh gunfight being one of the more common ones well, the, okay yeah well there were tons because you had the old electromechanical games they used to call them oh yeah yeah i had a couple of those oh those I had things, battlestar yeah. galactica yeah. one i mean there was a, a or it wasn't battlestar galactica it was, but it was like battlestar galactica but there was also things like mm. merlin you remember merlin well, those are different. Those are electronic. Yeah, okay. I'm talking like at arcades and stuff. They oh, had okay. the electromechanical ones that they sort of played like video games did, mm-hmm. but not quite because, again, you had to actually have like I'm remembering there was one. It was a uh, Bally, I think, put it out was called Space Invaders. And okay. you had a gun and in the back of this machine was a little like silhouette of a city. And little alien guys would pop up, and a saucer would go by, oh, and you'd I shoot. I remember the... that. I yep. remember that game. Yeah, Lo- it sounds familiar. Louder like... than hell, and you'd shoot. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, and it would light up the track, which that your shot went down to see if you hit the alien and stuff. Like there were ones like that, yeah. and that's what video games came from. Because the earliest games, like you, you're you're talking about, up. Oh, was it Sea Wolf? Mm-hmm. and and shootout that kind of split the diff and then you had pong was your first actual fully like electronic video kind of game mm-hmm. wasn't there like a and deadwood then... game too there was like one that was like uh you know oh there was a couple yeah, there's a couple of those kind of things where you were shooting you know bad guys like moving across the screen kind of thing yeah yeah my favorite right. for the yep. my, my favorite old video game was 1976's death race there was a death race game from 76? Yeah, you'd, you'd drive. If you remember the really old school video games that had the big steering wheel and the shifter on them, mm-hmm. it was that, but on the track, little guys would come up, and if you hit them, they'd scream, and you hear a little ding, 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 and they'd turn into a tombstone, and now they're an obstacle. Oh, yeah, really? I do. I remember yeah. that, too, yeah. That, that, oh, that game got, <laughs> it, it got banned in a hurry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But what ends up happening, like you're right, Space Invaders takes off. And what it does is the video game thing taking off puts this idea of computers in people's heads. Mm-hmm. And it makes them not quite as scary. And it it makes them appealing to normal people. Mm, yeah. And that's kind of one of the things that video games does. Is it sort of, Space Invaders sets off a whole big electronic revolution. Mm-hmm. And that has effects on other stuff because, again, it becomes more immersive. Like the the, the video games are are their light and sound and that. Mm-hmm. Um, the video game thing leads, like you've mentioned, the uh, the old Atari. Mm-hmm. That leads to another point on my list would be the home computer. Right. Yep. Home computers take off mostly because people just want to play games on the damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, or as I tell my students, the reason home computing took off is because let we're basically the way we convinced our parents to buy us video game machines. We said, oh, I can yep. do my homework on it. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I've got me this Commodore 64. I can totally be, I'll totally do my homework on it and it'll make me smarter and a better student. And they're, oh, okay. And then they, they buy it for you. And then secretly it's also a video game machine. And that's what you use it for most of the time. 
well, it's that. And then when BBS is start up again, BBS has become another way to become more immersed because that's what a lot of hardcore fandoms do because it's like a zine, but it's, it's faster. Yes. Sort of. I mean, BBS is where, remember they were very limited because yeah. you were, you were calling into the one, a couple phone lines that that BBS had, if, if they had more than one and you called in and you just kind of left your, you read what was there. You left a few notes on their message board yep. you, and you everything could be on was too text long. player games and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Do you ever exactly. see Pirates of Silicon Valley? You ever see that movie Pirates of Silicon Valley? No, no, I've never it's seen that. It's really worth it. watching because there's some like very amazing moments in there. And so one of the moments we mm-hmm. were talking about personal computer is, you know, arguably um, Steve Wozniak was one of the guys who created the first like really useful home computer. But yes. he was yeah. working for, um, I think it was Hewlett Packard at the time. And so mm-hmm. he t- t- told Steve Jobs who wanted to sell. He said, I, I can't. Everything I make, they own. And Steve Jobs was like ready to throttle him. And he goes, I, I have to take it to him at least. So he took it to his supervisor and showed it. The guy was like, a home computer? Who's going to want that? Get it <laughs> off my desk. <laughs> it was like one of, the, <laughs> one of the most, you know, amazing moments in time because Hewlett Packard could have been Microsoft or Apple, you know, if they, yeah, had, yeah. if they had, you know, just thought ahead. And there was like, you know, the other like amazing moment also in that movie was because they go back and forth between Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. And so Mm. Steve Jobs or Bill Gates makes an arrangement to make software for IBM. uh, And he Mm -hmm. buys like the software DOS from another guy who created it. And he Mm -hmm. so he didn't even have the software at the time. He made the deal with IBM saying he'd make it. And there but he says, Mm -hmm. but we're going to own the software. And the guys in the IBM are like, all the money's in the hardware anyway. <laughs> and I was like, there's yeah. another perfect moment. They completely misunderstood <laughs> yeah. that the hardware doesn't mean anything. The software was yep. king, right? And that's what made them so much money. Yep. Like I said, it's really worth a watch, those that those movies for that reason. Or that movie. Right, that okay, reason. yeah. Pirates of Silicon Valley. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll put the trailer in the show notes. Okay, so, um, yeah, definitely true. And so, I guess my point is, is that the video, we wanted to play video games, but you're, it, in, in its own way, it did allow for the home computing revolution. There's no question on that. Or made it e- an easier sell in the home yeah. to our parents' generation. And that would eventually, of course, lead to, as you said, uh, bulletin boards. And those would eventually kind of ease people into the internet. Although the internet is actually coming from a very different stream. Remember, the internet is coming from the uh, academic military end of things. Yeah. It's just it gets opened up in the mid-90s to the public, basically. And Mm -hmm. so we start being able to use it. But I remember logging into the internet using the computers at the local university back in the early 90s. And that's the only way you could get on it. Wasn't like Canada Relay started off as that or something like that? There was like a particular... It's like called Canada Relay or something like that, which was basically I, that wasn't the one I used. Okay. It was I went and used with something else, but but yeah, those th- but ones like that. I mean, you could get on using CompuServe and that after a while, once they realized there was kind of a use for it. CompuServe, but, um, CompuServe, America <laughs> Online, yeah, those things. But mm. but anyway, but that would eventually lead to the internet as we know it. Yeah, and but it's, it would it would take a while. And it's it's again, you're you're right that it takes a, a while, but it's 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 that idea. It's the step by step mm-hmm. by step 
that again i do think the 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 big video game boom got people interested in computers right and then because if you remember the early home computers even if you're just playing games on them you had to understand how they work because you didn't just stick the thing and you had to like pick your drive and you had to set it up and i remember Mm -hmm. the earliest ones oh my god you'd have to like type in 15 different lines of code just to get it to find your like fucking like disc reader on it Mm -hmm. and but but again it what what you're seeing is that it's it's that familiarity yes yep yep it taught people not to be afraid of this home technology that would and open the door for home computers Mm -hmm. yeah and it it made them seem more people like computers sorry go oh i was gonna say and it made it seem worthwhile Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you it's said, I, to know. I can do my homework on it. You're not doing your homework on a Coleco Atom. You're just not. Don't don't kid yourself. <laughs> yeah, but you can convince your parents because they didn't know any better. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I bought my so own that, VIC-20. So that was a nice thing. It was one of my biggest purchases I ever made. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was like a $320, and then the next year, it was 50 <laughs> <laughs> I was so wow. disappointed. <laughs> See, I bet you were. Yep. But I did end up no. getting a 16k adapter. Woo! That made that memory. <laughs> that memory just sang with 16k. Let me tell you. That's well, it. at the at the time, it did yes. actually. <laughs> See, I remember that because uh, around that same time, one of my first like big purchases with my own money was I bought my own computer too. But mine was Which a time. I had a Timex Sinclair One Thousand. That's what I was waiting for. And, yeah, and yeah. mine mine was the kit because you could get the the one you had to put together yourself for like mm-hmm. half as much as a really assembled one. So I got like the kit. Right. Yeah. I think it was and like here. I, I thought you like were going to have a TRS eighty or something. <laughs> no, a little while later, I did have a PC three, oh, which yeah. was one of the first pocket computers. Right. Actually, I had the I didn't have the trash eighty. Sorry, TRS eighty. Yep, that's what it was called. It was called the trash eighty. Uh, yeah. I had the TRS. I had the Coco, which was the TRS color computer. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Which it was their attempt to actually make a Commodore sixty four. Basically, it was their alternate version of it. So it was like the C sixty four, except it had lots of less, lots uh, fewer stuff for it. So I basically had to like subscribe to magazines and then type in my own code for my own games. I literally had to t- literally line by line code for my own games. Yep. And then record. And then once it was in, I could record it onto a onto an audio cassette. <laughs> yep. <laughs> As audio, which I would then have to play it back to the computer when I want to reload it onto the computer. Yeah, I have an audio cassette with my uh, uh, Vic Twenty as well. Vic Twenty, yeah. yeah, you would, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yep. Yeah. It's just, but and you know what sold it to me? There was actually a game for the color computer, and I still remember this. We walked into a Radio Shack because that's where you bought them, um, and they actually had a game that was two dinosaurs fighting each other. Hmm. And to my young, you know, uh, giant monster obsessed mind, it's like dinosaurs fighting. Oh, must have this. And so that's why <laughs> we ended up getting one. I convinced my parents to get me one instead of bothering with a C, you know, a Vic 20 or eventually a C64 because it had a game where dinosaurs fought. And that was awesome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, just, just, you know, giant kind of blocky pseudo Tyrannosaurus Rex is one green, sorry, one blue, one red. And they like attacked each other. Wow. 
<laughs> and that was the game. That was the whole game, literally. No, I'm not kidding. That was the whole game. And now, uh, but you know, dinosaurs fighting. Cool. This is the time, by the way. There's a great little documentary called Star Suckers. If you ever get to watch, it. and and um, it is on YouTube okay. in two parts. Uh, it's a British documentary, okay. and they talk about marketing and and the changes in marketing. And I, I was really fascinating because they show like this 1950s uh, black and white uh, video where they're asking kids like. What do you want to be when you grow up? And the kid says, I want to be a mailman. And I show that to my kids and they start laughing out loud because in our obsessed culture that we've developed all the way through, their ideas, you know, of growing up is like if they're if they want to say what they're going to be out loud is it's they're going to be rich or they're going to be right. a rapper yeah. or something like that. But they don't think of like something like as, as like just steadfast, like. This, but this is what they wanted in the fifties. They wanted a good job in their community, right? Um, yeah. And so it, later on in the show, they show a woman um, who was one of the f first people who was hired by a marketing company as a psychologist, coming up with ways in commercials to teach kids how to be able to uh, nag their parents to buy stuff. So it right. was all about. You know, getting the kid to be able to nag enough because the parent would give in. So the parents had the money, but the kids had the power, the nagging power. This is back in the 80s, right? <laughs> so that's where they were, right. you know, so that's where suddenly they knew that they could, this is like an untapped mind. And you could see, I think there was like a two-year spread where, you know, kids marketing all across North America was like $20 million. And it went over a billion, like the next year kind of mm -hmm. thing. So That's insane. Yeah. Yep. But I believe it. I totally believe that that's what happened. No, no, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Once they figured out how to use kids as their weapons, they won. Yeah. Well, that ties into another thing on my list. Mm hmm. And that was another one of the uh, the, 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 the big events was the uh, half hour toy ads. Right. Right. Yep. And, and that ties into in. It ties in with what Jack is saying because I know there was a lot of research done into that idea of marketing through the kids to get them to mm -hmm. nag the parents. Yes. That came about because this idea that I could now do a TV show based on uh, like a like a toy line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, no, well. Or vice versa, you create a TV show and that toy line follows. It goes both ways. Right. Yeah, by by the time you, you got to a, a certain point, they started doing them together a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, it really, the first one that did this was He-Man. Yeah. Do you think it was He-Man was first? He-Man was okay. first. The um, G.I. Joe is the one that perfected it. Oh, okay. G.I. Joe did, they were doing the, they did the ads, the animated ads for the comic. Mm -hmm. uh, they did animated ads for the toys shortly thereafter, and then they did the uh, the 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 Weather Dominator, which was a movie. Yes, yeah. That became, I it. it became the first week of the show, and that became what you did. But He Man is 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 actually the first of the actual shows that did this. Mm -hmm. But the Marvel Sunbow thing, I think, absolutely perfected it because it was that idea of working like you'd you'd work both together. Right. Yeah. And you know by the time you got to a was... certain point, Sorry. you really couldn't do an animated show unless you already had a toy line lined up for it. Well, because there was so much cost involved. Yeah. 
you know and what that show, was how you were going to mitigate your cost. You know what show? Um, it really hit me hard in the face that I went, "Oh my god, this is what they're doing." Um, and it, mm. it had to be for me because I was so I was so brought up in '80s uh, cartoons that it was just ubiquitous, right? The, the the they were selling the commercials in or the the mark marketing stuff in between the commercials. They were marketing all the the toys there, but mm-hmm. when they did Captain Power and the Soldiers of Fortune. And they were definitively oh, the trying to the future. Are oh, the future yeah. soldiers of the future? And they were definitively selling like the power gun and stuff like that. Oh, and, yeah. and they were like really leaning hard into that. And that was J. Michael Straczynski, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, it uh, was. I thought, whoa, they're really trying to sell people on this stuff. It's not about the show; it's about what they can sell in this thing. So mm-hmm. that's yep. the first time it really struck a chord. So yeah, because I'm gonna say that. I see this as kind of a mixed curse, mixed blessing. Mm-hmm. Because as a kid, I enjoyed all of this stuff. Yeah. And the, the kind of good part was because you had the, 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 the toy company kicking in for part of it, you mm-hmm. did see some advancements in animation quality during that time. Mm-hmm. And some of the shows, again, they, 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 they did pretty good with what they had, with the constraints that they had about every year you had to introduce the new characters that came out in the toys and the guys that we stopped producing the toys of had to kind of disappear from the show and that. Mm-hmm. But one of the weirder, and again, it, it it's a development, I'd say, off of Star Wars, that one of the weirder things you get from doing that is it becomes even more immersive. Right. And this is where I think you're starting to see what later on becomes like problematic hardcore fandom. Because again, it's it's that the Generation Ich idea that Generation X was raised on media and are creatures of media. This is kind of how that starts happening because I can watch the show, read the book, play the game, play with the toys. And and it becomes again, it it, it becomes very prevalent and very kind of directed. Mm-hmm. Okay, why? Well, because like I say, because so much of, of, say, as a kid, of what I do with this is being told to me. So here's the story, here are the characters. Okay, that's cool. Here are the mm-hmm. toys of the characters. Here's how they interact. Okay, right, that, yeah, yeah. Cool. It's, it's again, it's it's more cultivation of your audience. It's, it's, it's more of like a, like a, not exactly an exchange, but... It would be, say, back in the day, you would do, like, a comic in the newspaper, Mm -hmm. and it would be serious. I'm doing Flash Gordon, and there'd be some merchandise, but not a lot, because Flash Gordon is a comic in the paper that I read. That's what it's there for. Yeah, yeah. Um, You'd have, like, a a book. You'd do, like, the Tarzan novels, and I would read them. And then it got to the point, you'd do movies, and the movies would beget the TV show when TV became a thing. And it'd be like... Okay, that's something, but again, you still didn't have a lot of, like, um, like you didn't have, like, Tarzan toys and, like, official Tarzan loincloth so much kind of thing. Because, again, this is a story. It's a movie and a book that I... But when you get into, like, this era, it's, like I said, it's very much more directed. Here's the characters. Here's how you're supposed to play with them. Here's the new things that come out. Here's the show mm. showing you how those things interact with the old ones. It becomes, again, it's, it's, you're getting much more of the story and 
you're kind of being told how to enjoy it more than you were in generations past. You could even argue... Okay, yeah. I mean, you could even argue that um, there's less creativity going on in that respect. Because, um, mm. yeah, like, I remember when I was in Halloween and I wanted to be Batman, I had to come up with my own costume. Mm-hmm, right? True. And I wasn't literally looking like Batman, so therefore I had to come up with my own little backstory because I, I was using, like, a you know, a balaclava as a face mask, you know, and I uh-huh. cut up little, you know, ears and, and from paper, paint them black and then affix them with like uh, safety pins. Right. And then I have to use right, a yeah, towel, yeah. right. To be like a cape and all these, and I had to make my own stuff. So there was a lot of that going on and you could almost argue for the most part. Now I'm sure there's no firm lines, but for the most part, the whole mm-hmm. idea of fan fiction it is mm-hmm. is is created when this stuff can be marketed to you uh, through toys and stuff like that because then people are more ingrained in, in Don's idea of well this is what these stories would be like and this is what these characters would be like and you're not just free playing Buck Rogers you're you, mm-hmm. you have to follow yeah. a particular uh, fashion right and th- and then that of course that leads us further down the line of what Don was talking about of the whole uh the 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 fandom of no that's not the way it's supposed to be done right because I've yeah, already yeah. been fed that way I know exactly how you know Captain Marvel would really speak right so yeah, right, yeah. It's fascinating interesting stuff cuz cuz fan fiction was the response to there not being enough of the thing that you loved right like that was why like with with the uh, the trekkies in the late 60s and the early 70s kind of that sort of the the origin of fan fiction was people writing more star trek and it was because there just wasn't any more star trek and people are like there should be more star trek mm, yeah and then that's kind of the impulse that you see again i think getting around this time of like the half hour toy ads and that that they're realizing that the the companies that own the different properties are realizing that there are cravings for this stuff and we can satisfy them. We can satisfy the cravings you didn't even know you had. And that was why we'll put out a Care Bears video game because you didn't know you needed one. And now you can immerse yourself, God help you, even more in that world by playing the game. We'll let people mm. make as much Doctor Who as they want because mm. Doctor Who for 20 years didn't come back or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah true. And that was the problem that you started running into, um, especially in the 90s. It happened here, it happened in Japan with the garage kit companies that, say, Paramount would be perfectly cool with fans doing fan fiction and putting it out there up until they were going to do a new show. And then they brought the hammer down on all that because they didn't want to stifle that, you know, that need, that craving for more when they had their own new story coming out. They'd want to yeah. sublimate, but you would use the fan fiction and the fan works to kind of keep it percolating until you brought your next big thing out. Yeah, yeah. Because that was the 90s. There was a lot of fandom that yeah. really kind of felt pooped on because of things like that. All of a sudden, they were being told, no, you can't do that anymore. And they'd be like, well, we were putting out this like fanzine with our own stories for like 15 years. Yeah, well, we'll throw you in jail now if you do. And that's yeah. what happened. It was that. Yeah, they got that hang of that. They they realized how to how to focus that craving even more. Right. 
So this is I de- 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 this is like desperately depressing when you think about the the <laughs> stuff that everybody the stuff that this entire podcast is about the nerd stuff and everything has really only been stuff that they they uh, very carefully digest for you set up for you mm-hmm. uh, chew for you and discard. <laughs> Well, at the at, at their own desire, right? So the the corporations own the entire thing. Yeah, and, and we've talked before about how in the '90s, like, it feels like they perfected the formula. I think that's kind of what we're we're seeing is how that happens. Mm. That how over like the course of like two decades, almost three decades, they manage like they being the um, the the big companies that own the rights to a lot of this stuff how they managed to kind of sway the public, how to, the fandom and that into mostly just consumers of it. That even to the point, like I say, I remember working in the comic shop in the nineties that there were guys that would lose their shit about how horrible Batman comics were, but still not stop buying them. Mm-hmm. They were like junkies. You see that nowadays, you know, with like your hardcore nerd rage that it's, it's that taken a little too far that, Oh my God! If like Superman's costume isn't exactly the way I think it's supposed to be, then you're like raping my childhood, and you're the worst thing since Hitler. And oh my God! I hope you all go broke and die in a gutter, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, to, yes and yep. no. In the respect that I think nowadays people are so inundated with nerd culture that they're willing to not watch that movie, right? So I think... see what happened to the to the all female Ghostbusters movie for example right mm-hmm. so they just went no i'm 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 not in i'm not gonna, there's tons of people who love ghostbusters but there are so mm. many things that they could spend their time on now they've kind of like they 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 outsmarted themselves because nerd culture is everywhere that people can easily turn something off and say i'll wait for the next one they'll reboot it again well well, they they do. There's that. I mean, that's a good example too. Because when when the uh, the like first like fifty five second ad for the the Ghostbusters remake came out, again, mm-hmm. old fans totally lost their shit. This was the worst thing that ever happened. Oh my god, it's it's terrible. You've ruined my childhood. There's no joy left. It's a fifty five second ad for something you haven't even seen. But it's that idea that I think. We've hit that point that, and we've talked about that before, that the diversification of media means there's a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. And I think the later stages of that where we're at now is that we are so used to being pandered to that we want exactly the exact thing, exactly how we want it. And if we don't get it, then we totally, it's, it's not a matter of like back in the old days, you'd accept, well, I don't like the new like writer on Batman. I'll just like not read Batman. It's, it's. It's we're kind of because I can go somewhere to get exactly what I want, exactly how I want to now that you're you're kind of seeing that weird. I don't think we're quite there yet where people can let go. Mm-hmm. I think we're still kind of slavishly like stuck in our fandom ruts, but I think you're kind of starting to see that. And that's why you're starting to see um, people turning away from the big established properties and trying out these like more new weird little things, mostly that Jeff emails to all of us, that are just somebody putting together some weird little film or writing some weird little song, and that can take off now, because again, it's it's 
it doesn't cost me anything. And if I'm fed up with the big properties for whatever reason, I've mm-hmm. still got enough distraction entertainment that you're starting to see that you're starting to see that people can move on. What worries me hmm. though is is we've talked about this before is that we're also coming to the to a technological breakthrough moment of uh, edge of of entertainment where we can do whatever we want where we can sit there and say yeah I want to do Star Wars but I'm going to have Ryan Reynolds play Han Solo and I'm going to have so and so play this. I'm going to remove these scenes because I don't like them. And I'm going to change this around. And in the end, uh, Ben Kenobi mm-hmm. will win. And there. Okay, let's go. And then they'll play the, the movie that they want to play. And it'll be so divor- divorced from the original story. It'll be so <laughs> personalized that nobody will have anything in common with anybody anymore. You won't be able to sit there and say... Remember, remember the days when Darth Vader didn't scream when he scream out "no" at the end of Return <laughs> of the Jedi. Like, what are you talking about? He screams "no" all the way through the movie. <laughs> like, you know, like, no, that's just because right. you like that. You put it in there, you moron, kind of thing. You know, like we're we're going to out nerd ourselves to the point that none of us will have anything in common. I think, in a way, you're right. I think too. Um, mm. To to continue on the list, one of the things that comes up that's on my list was the establishment of cable and satellite TV. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you start to see that diversification of entertainment. And Mm. I think that comes to total fruition with the internet. And then that leads kind of what Jack is getting to is that you're, you'll get, I think what's going to end up happening though, is it's not that you're going to get less shared culture is that it's going to be a lot faster and more disposable. Because hmm. some, somebody will do Star Wars, but instead of um, Han Solo being played by Harrison Ford, they'll like type into their, their Agalog 4000 home video entertainment system that lets you just fill in the blanks as you will. They'll have Han Solo played by Tiny Tim. And he'll well, sing... Act- well, oh. actually, you know how it'll work. Hmm. You will buy character packs. You will buy um, packs which are basically actors or whatever. You'll buy their likenesses or whatever. You'll pay, you know, fifty cents or whatever. And those, and so that, and then you'll use those in the films or whatever media properties you want the way you want them. Yeah, and people will hack it and make their own. And yeah, yep. people there'll be stuff that you'll buy. You'll have the porn version of Princess Leia and stuff like that. that of course, right? So. Mm. Well, that'll be the most popular. That'll be like three fifty <laughs> instead of fifty no, no. cents. But those, yeah, those yeah, and, won't be sold and... legally. Those won't be sold legally because that because remember the images of, and again they're going to be fighting on this too. But the images of the actors will be the thing that they're going to be making money on. It won't be no exactly. longer the stuff that they say or the actual acting. That'll all be digitally replaced. So the yes, the, yeah. the the foundation of Carrie Fisher will not allow her image to be used in an inappropriate way legally. So it, that's hmm. where the, that's where actors who won't be acting will be making their money. <laughs> yeah, but they'll all be owned by Disney, and I think what what'll end up happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, why people will stop like the big companies will stop giving as much of a shit isn't just because of that because what'll happen is my version of star wars with tiny tim playing han solo will be the most popular thing ever for like a day 
and then it'll be completely relegated to the the annals of history and nobody will give a shit because somebody will have then done like their version of Star Wars where instead of like Harrison Ford playing Han Solo, it's Jocko. So Well, you know, you're making you're making the argument that people are gonna post them though. I think I think both hmm. Robin and I are making the argument they're not gonna post them. That's just what the, their nightly entertainment. They're not going to waste the time oh. to post them to show how how proud they are of other people. They're just going to do it in their well, own. No, they will. Some will, some will, but I mean, as a as a mass thing, it won't happen that way, you know, because it'll be so it'll be it'll be so uh, every day, right? You know, so mm-hmm. it'll be That's about true. as it'll be about as entertaining and as about as often as you'll see as somebody doing a we play, right? Not mm. everybody does a we play, but there'll be a there'll be an uh, an audience for people who want to see that, right? I th- I think that that's true. I th- I think what hmm? proves that kind of wrong though is mm-hmm. another another thing on the list would be MySpace, Facebook, and Twitter. That people are okay. always people are always going to want accolades, and I think in in the future social credit is going to be based on things like you know how many likes did you get especially if they end up instigating one of those like stupid people rating systems that everybody keeps trying to 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 start around the world there i think uh, well, they'll, they'll put off sooner or later yeah, yeah will. and and you'll get like what's called the sharing culture now will be even more so and it'll be even more disposable mm-hmm well, there's no doubt that people will share their, like, for example, their playlist of, well, this is the best way to do Star Wars uh, with this set of actors and with these sets of mods and using these scenes and skipping this scenes and things like that. They'll, they'll definitely be, I think you're right, that they'll be sharing aspects of it with other people. It won't be super, it will be their personal version, but people, there will be popular versions of it. In yeah, fact, we may even get to the point where there is actually media that comes out that doesn't even have an original story. Right. Where people mm-hmm. literally... I, I, That's my I, in argument, fact, I, yeah. With the, yeah, the first one... It'll be curious to see the first one that comes out. It will kind of have an original story. Let's say a generic superhero story. We'll call it uh, Mighty Man or something. And it'll come out. But the thing is, you'll actually... People will be able to go through and decide, okay, well, I'm going to have this scene happen here and this is going to happen this way and these are, this is how I'm going to cast it. And then we'll quickly see people. Some people will the people and they'll be able to share that list with their friends. Those that their version of Mighty Man, Tim's version of Mighty Man, and right. then like Janice will come along and she'll have her version of Mighty Man. And then certain versions like Tim's Mighty Man will become more popular than Janice's is, and you know things like that. Mm-hmm. And again, that's only nerd culture that you're talking about, though, right? If we're talking about actually like no, not at all the whole media. I, I, no, I, I, I mean everybody will do it, but the sharing of it mm-hmm. will only be nerd culture, because they're no, the only ones that are interested. My dad is my dad will not sit down. He will sit down and go, yeah, I'd like to see you know um, High Noon with Clint Eastwood and stuff like that. But he's not going to take the time to be able to share it to the rest of the world. They're too busy doing their work day and stuff like that. So. You're going to have a, a group of people that will want that, you know, just like this. There's only a small group of people that make YouTube videos. Really? Right? Considering the entire... It depends world. how much money there is in it. True. 
absolutely true for that. If 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 there's a way to make money doing this, like let's say Tim's version of Star Wars actually makes him a little bit of money every time someone takes Tim version. That's a good point. Then suddenly, now mind you, ultimately it'll be Tim's bootleg version of Star Wars that has the porn version of Leia. That will be the one that makes all the money. But we will we need to go there. Um, if they're the allowed point, to. If they're allowed right? to. Because well, once again, yeah. people want to sell the packs, but they don't want you necessarily making money off of their entertainment. That's mm-hmm. that's the same argument of like, well, then I, I should be able to make money off of fan fiction. That doesn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. So Yeah, but that... Ultimately, everything will be fan fiction, right? Yeah, that's well, I know, but I'm just saying if you're talking about like the amount of control a corporation has over their product, they don't mm. want people to be able to um, have that much control that they can take one product and effectively make it endlessly entertaining. Yeah, unless what they can do is to get you to do all the work and then sell advertising on your work. That's exactly it. That's in, that's exactly what they'll do. Think about think about going back to what Don's point is. Uh, Facebook, MySpace, Twitter. What they really are is they're a platform, and then the the inmates basically make sorry the users <laughs> make their own uh, the users make their own content. Like you give them a platform and the users do all the work for freaking free. Yep. They're literally like making, they're literally building their own prison. Oh. Sorry, uh, platform, okay. whatever. Anyway, the point is, is here's, here's yeah. why it won't. And I'll, and I'll, I'll uh, you're, you got a good point in a whole bit, right? Right. Yeah. YouTube hammers down on other people's content. Mm-hmm. Right. Eventually. So yeah, eventually, but if, if they find it, they will remove it. They could make a whole lot more allowing you to use it. Actually, that's not quite true, Jack. Right now, this is one of the problems that's been happening over the last year or so. If, um, let's say, I make a music video with, I don't know, a Duran Duran song in it, okay? Here's what happens. YouTube automatically goes to the maker. It, the algorithm notices it. It goes to Duran Duran, whoever's managing the Duran Duran account, and says, hey, this guy's making a song with your stuff. Do you want to do a, uh, what do you want us to do about it? And those guys can even literally come to me and say, hey, do you want to do a profit sharing thing where, you know, you we get 80% of the income from the song, but we'll give you 20 if you want to just leave it up and everything like that. And I can say, okay, sure. That's new. And no, they've that's been doing that about a year. Every um, time I have this- something come up, I've never had somebody ask for a profit sharing. The only time they'd say it's, it's, it, this is belongs to somebody else's copyright and you need to remove it. Yep. Period. Yep. No, because they ran into a problem where what people were doing in various countries were doing is they were finding content that wasn't actually pirated. And then they were saying they were doing a copyright claim on it. Mm-hmm. And then they would automatically, YouTube was giving them all the profit that, that that thing was making. And then after a week or two, the original maker would usually manage to get things sorted out. But for like two weeks, that guy in South America was actually making all the ad money from that right. thing. And guess what? They got to keep it. Wow. And they would just go off and do this to someone else. And they do this. And this became a huge problem for a while. I'm not even sure how they sorted that thing out. And so, no, they've been experimenting with different things like profit sharing. But remember, they can also just have it set to automatically delete it. We just don't want it anything. That's that's mm-hmm. every it's, experience I've ever had about that. So Yeah, but they're 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 trying to transition because the truth is, like, yeah, if you've got a stuff that's making serious cash, they could be making some or most of that cash. Why not do that? Yeah. I agree, but so, like I said, that hasn't been my experience or anyone else I've heard. This is the first I've ever heard of this. So you're saying in third no. world countries where it's much more difficult to 
to hammer down mm-hmm. on this, that's where that's coming from. Yep. So this yep, is yep. fairly new. You said it's not new, but it's a fairly new like a year. Thing. Well, it was happening. It was happening in 2019. By that, by so it's not like it's not a new 2020 thing. I was watching videos because YouTubers were complaining about this. I would say 2019 this a year is ago. new. <laughs> That's a year now. That's only been a year. This has been how long has we've got? 20 years now, or no, 15 years for that. that, that, for that, that, that that's a whole. That's a whole year, dude. That's ancient. <laughs> Don't worry about it. This is inter. This is internet speed. Okay. That's a, that's a year. You got me there. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was pre pre COVID nineteen. That's like ancient. It's the before times <laughs> is what they say. Yeah, the before times, exactly. Before the dark times, yeah. Before the virus, there we oh, go. Um, so, but yes, I mean, go, going back to Don's point, though, social media demonstrates that yeah, you've just got to create a platform, and then people will do their own shit with it, and you can just make, charge them for it and sell them ads and other things like that, and they'll pay you, and you can and you can become look. Facebook is literally one of the richest companies on earth on paper mm-hmm. and they yeah. don't even make their own shit yeah they say tw- twitter's barely alive yeah, it's, but, it's but on Facebook paper it's on so paper though like if you actually take a look at what money they're bringing in most of this is is through investors they that have, that have developed all this stuff it's kind of like no 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 facebook but, sorry i was just gonna ads. say it's kind of like most... amazon was running in the red for the longest time it was only it was only mm-hmm. existing based upon uh, really investor uh, and ideas and stuff like that that came from it. Mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff that we consider to be, you know, expected you know, internet stuff actually doesn't make as much money as people think. It just generates that much interest, right? And so yeah. when you're going to, when you're going to spend a lot of, of this time, again, mm-hmm. I, I, I really challenge exactly like, yeah, some people will make money of it. How many people really make like a lifetime, like a living off of YouTube? percentage wise in society yeah but they they don't have to they just have to think they can i mean it's the same thing that keeps the lottery in business mm-hmm. yeah that's true that's true and then don't forget it just has to be that one percent yeah because again you're talking such such huge volumes because i'm willing to bet how flexible companies are with their copyright depends on how many views your thing is getting mm-hmm. yeah like if you're getting a million views they're thinking that's like ready-made advertising yeah, but if oh, you yeah. get like ten thousand, they don't care. Hmm. Exactly. So, um, Don, actually, I noticed two things you didn't mention on this list that I think for Gen X is actually super important. Okay. Um, or at least one of them is anyway, and one is literally X in the X Men comic book, like the X Men comic book, which came out in the early referred to, of course, the new X Men. It transformed comics. It trans, but it not just transformed comics. It eventually would transform culture itself. Because people, and Gen Xers specifically, who grew up like reading that in the 80s, then went on to become TV writers and executives and everything. We've talked about this before. And so the whole idea of story arcs and all that stuff, a lot of that comes from, I would argue, the X-Men comic book. It- I mean... People would actually say Babylon 5 and uh, say Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But guess what? If you ask Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Joss Whedon, where he came up with that, the answer is he said, oh, yeah, X-Men. He, he literally says that if you go read his stuff. It's like, yep, that's where I got it from. So you're saying so Chris Claremont created <laughs> modern, in a lot modern of ways, nerd yeah. society. <laughs> modern nerd culture, a huge chunk of it is actually Chris Claremont. Wow. You're... You're right, but what I'm going to say for purposes of 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 the list and and where where we're like going, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I wouldn't count things like that because, again, you're sort of talking when you're talking about because I mentioned this with music that I don't mm-hmm. include like punk or rap or any of that happening. Mm-hmm. These things all did have an impact, but they had an impact kind of within the framework. Like, okay, the genres come and go. The material comes and goes. Like when you talk about the X Men change comics, which are now dead. So again, it's it's it's. It, well, it, no, they transitioned, they evolved to t- movies yeah. and TV. And it's, it's, but it's that idea that they're, they're, they kind of didn't add to the, the overall effect. They were sort of components, but the specific flavor isn't as important as kind of, I guess you say the hardware. Well, but hold on a sec. I would argue that at least some of, say, the 90s collector culture that eventually comes around is still the result of the X-Men. Like, that stuff doesn't happen unless Claremont's X-Men happens. Aha, you've got one. Mm -hmm. another one on the list. I think you're kind of right, but what starts the 90s collector's culture isn't the X-Men. It's Todd McFarlane. Which is spitting off from the X-Men. Spawn. But... but again, it wasn't. Oh, yeah, which is st- well, okay, which is kind of Spider-Man rip, a Spider-Man Batman rip. But still, I would argue that that's still even even Image doesn't exist without the X-Men. There's no Image comics without the X-Men. That doesn't happen. It's it's true, but again, what what I would say is for the for the collector mentality mm-hmm. that you see that takes off in the '90s, like that was the action figure thing. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the the roots that it took. It starts with McFarlane toys. What he was doing didn't matter because remember he also, oh, I forget what they were called. There was like a line of like baseball figures that came out at roughly the same time that Major League, I think they were mm-hmm. called. That were like, again, right. this this crazy out of control collector's thing. Um, mm-hmm. Beanie Babies were another one. It wasn't, it's, it's not the specific flavor mm-hmm. that I think was important as that whole movement. And it had different things because you're you're right that the X Men really did kind of lead to the uh, by the late '80s the mainstream comic book industry as as we know it, mm-hmm. and that kind of leads into the uh, the speculator thing around that point. Mm-hmm. But again, it wasn't that they loved the X Men and that was why they were like bought ten copies of X Men number one. It was because this thing was going to be valuable. Because don't forget, if you want to talk about the comic speculator craze, there are comics that people lost their collective shit for at the time that were selling for big bucks right out of the gate that nobody cares about anymore. Mm-hmm. Does anybody remember Isn't that Faust? More the no. '90s, though. That's the that's the '90s. That is the '90s. Yeah. Thing. So it is yeah, the '80s is where we're talking the Claremont area era, really. Like, well, it, it, I actually, I'm arguing that Claremont comes out of that. That all the stuff, even the Marvel universe as we know it, comes out of Claremont. A lot of it does. Well, Claremont and Byrne, but and, yeah. and Byrne, of course, re- revolutionizes the Fantastic Four and like a lot of what we know is the Marvel here, the Marvel Cinematic Universe today. So much of it is foundational, based on the stuff that came out in the '80s, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the, even the storylines, right? Surpri- so the storylines, yeah. the versions of the characters they're doing, everything is mostly out of like they're using '90s stuff and later stuff as well. But foundationally, most of it's out of the '80s, which is yeah. not a surprise because the guys like Kevin Feige running Marvel Studios—they're all Gen Xers like us. Mm-hmm. This is what they grew up on. This is their favorite period. This is the version that they 
know and grew up on. So that's what they're doing. And so I would argue that um, almost everything comes out of Claremont's X-Men or not, okay, not everything, but, but, but a huge amount of our modern culture comes out of nerd culture. Anyway, comes out of Claremont's X-Men. I would, and yeah, we can do a whole show on that one another time. But anyway, um, but I guess, but my point is, is that I consider it just as significant as almost everything else you're talking about here. That's just my point. Yeah, my original list had 17 and a half things. Okay, you tried I, to... I would say Frank down, okay. Miller, too. I just want to put him on the on the list, too, because I think he, he mm-hmm. certainly uh, revolutionized uh, a lot of that as well, right? So Claremont and Miller yeah, there's, at the same time. So. Yep. There, there's, there's a bunch, but again, like I say, it's it's sort of for, for getting at that whole kind of... Of that the 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 media overload kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't think the specific genres are quite as important as the mechanisms that happened. Because I was I was looking at on my original list. One of the things I left out was the uh, what was the comic shop culture. Hmm. And that's that's kind of what you're getting at, and that's again where a lot of. Um, like yeah, like you're right. The the Marvel Cinematic Universe is all taken right out of the '80s comics. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is that if the Marvel Cinematic Universe hadn't happened, something else would have filled that gap. Like in all likelihood, I, more Batman movies. I think so. Your argument really is that what we're really talking about, or supposed to be talking about, is the hardware, not the software. Yeah, basically. You're what you're what so this is actually okay. So I misinterpreted some of what you're saying, but okay, and that makes sense that everything on your list is basically the the mechanisms, the shops, the machine, the the companies, the actual the physical things or organizations that are do making this stuff, as opposed to the and their shifts, as opposed to the actual content they're making. The yeah, because yeah. I yeah, because yeah, I would say that again that content is part of it and is probably a reciprocal thing. But like I say, the, whether or not like it was He-Man or GI Joe, that was the first half hour toy ad. It was the fact that they happened at all. That kind of created the change that kind of created the change in the audience Mm -hmm. and how the audience interacts with their entertainment. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Makes sense. Cause there's, there's a couple to, to kind of tying into that. Okay, go. Going into the list, I'm going to mention, mm-hmm. uh, we've talked about cable and the internet. I'm going to mention 24-hour news and home video, like v- VCRs. Okay. Yeah, what, that's another definitely hardware stuff. Okay, go. And what they do that kind of ties into what, what I'm thinking is the, the, the weird, disturbing origin of Gen X, as it were. Mm-hmm. They put that idea out of... 24-hour media, 24-hour entertainment. I would take what that one step further. I would say entertainment on demand. Because that's, yep. that's the first point where the consumer can start to control what they watch when they watch it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And I think that kind of mentality ties in with another thing that I think was really influential that probably seems like the oddity on the list Mm -hmm. and that is the atm 
Yes, I would definitely agree. That's a bit of an oddity on your list. Okay. No, no, I but think what, you're right, so... though, too, because that's money on demand, right? For that same yep, reason. Yeah, that's on demand. Yep. Yeah. It's 24-hour consumerism. And what's interesting about it is ATMs kind of happened in the very early 70s, late 60s. Mm-hmm. And nobody cares. They, they're not popular. They come out in, like, England. Nobody cares. Sweden tried it. Nobody cared. You get to the 80s and suddenly they're everywhere. They're the big thing. I think because, again, the two things that kind of come together in the 80s that you you look at that have changed the audience mm-hmm. is that idea of, yeah, like you said, entertainment on demand means that I'm living my life whenever. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, Space Invaders means I'm not terrified of electronic doodads. Right. I, I will trust the computer with my money now because they're so ubiquitous. I got one at home. I play like mm-hmm. at the arcade, you know, sure. Right. Cables is, is it, it, it's a box. I push buttons. Things happen on my TV. It's like an Atari, I guess, without cartridges. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of this. I don't know if it's the symbol or the facilitator that, of the realization of this kind of 24 hour consumer thing. Like Hmm. you had asked a whole shitload of episodes ago, when did people stop being citizens and start being consumers? I think it's, I think it's at that point when the ATM machine becomes a fixture and everybody's cool with it. Hmm. And if you just like move forward from that, it makes PayPal and Amazon inevitable. Yep. Inevitable. And debit yes, cards. Yep. And you're thinking, why the hell did I you know, invest <laughs> when I had the time? Because those those yeah. are, you know, people look for the, the simplest, easiest, most accommodating thing that they can get. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. 100% true. And uh, I think you're right about that. Wow. So the creation of the ATM is effectively the thing that triggers off the modern 24-hour consumer society. Yep. <laughs> that the ATM is what starts cyberpunk. Right. You know what's weird? And I, I couldn't get used to this over in Asia, is mm-hmm. that ATMs have hours. Uh-huh. Not 20, in Asia, ATMs are not 24 hours. It's actually tricky to find a 24-hour ATM in most Asian countries. They mm. usually have slightly extended hours more than a bank, but only slightly. Mm. Yeah. But also, I don't know why they do that. I don't know why they do that either. But they do. But uh, back to what you were saying about the news, st- that standard was created basically by CNN, right? So Ted, yep. yes, it was. Ted yeah. Turner, again, was one of the founders of this, of our cyberpunk mm-hmm. future. Because CNN yep. came in 1980. This is a long time it's been around. But it was the oh, yeah. first 24-hour cable news station, right? So It was. Yep. It was. And you know what their first report was on? It was a shooting, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. I show that to my class, actually. Really? <laughs> it, what was it's, the shooting? It's, it's, yeah. There was a man who was shot in an Amtrak train. This is the first thing they talk about, a guy being shot in an Amtrak train. And they also shot, talk about some politician being shot. That's literally the very first news they start with. That's the most yep. American thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. They literally just start by talking about a bunch of shootings. Wow. That's what they talk Jeez. about. But if you think about it, that's the only thing that's like national, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they're talking about some, something that's violence, that's not something people will see every day. That, well, maybe. Um, <laughs> that they would actually, that they might actually quasi 
they'll be fat. They won't care about it, but they'll be fascinated by it in mm-hmm. kind of a reality TV sort of way. And so that's why they didn't start with, uh, what are they going to start with? Local news? There isn't any. It's CNN. Yep. What did they, uh, they could start with business. That's boring. They could start with celebrities. They'll get around to that eventually. No, they yeah. start with violence. Well, there's a reason why, you know, hangings were done on Sunday afternoons and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> yep. It was a good time Hangs to come out educa- for picnicking and check out the whole thing and talk to everybody. Yep. Yep, yep, exactly. Ex- executions, they make good family entertainment. <laughs> Bring the kids. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, okay, so um, so home, home video, uh, we've got ATMs. Wow, I think we've got almost everything here. Is there anything else that you think sh- shaped Gen X? Don, before we finish up? There's two more. Um, okay. One I can do really quick because I think the development of the smartphone mm-hmm. is kind of the ultimate culmination of all of this because the smartphone is, yeah. it's your 24-hour, oh my God, I can't get away from the media ever thing. Mm-hmm. And it's two-way. Yes, it is. That now not only can I partake of the media whenever I want, but now the media can irritate me wherever I am. Yeah, exactly. It, that's true. <laughs> the media is part of your life and you are part of the media. I would, you know, I often thought that smartphones, you know what they are? They make us the brain cells of the human race. Mm-hmm. Where our smartphones basically, if we become, at that point, we basically become the Borg. We effectively yep. become, each, <laughs> each of us is now an individual piece in a giant computer network. Each of you, I don't have a cell phone. I think <laughs> you do now. No, they. My one job keeps trying to get me to get one, but I don't have one yet. <laughs> one of us. One of us. Sorry, well, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't I, worry, Don. We will fix that. I got to retire from that job. That that job I retire from in like nine years. So I just got to kind of dodge the cell phone thing for another nine years, and I'm good. <laughs> I don't. I do not see that happening, Don. Don't worry. We will find you. We will deal with you. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> but but that but that's been my thought for a while that the internet is anyway <laughs> that the the internet is all of humanity kind of working together. I'm not sure what it's doing, but it's doing something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Um, but at least that's my theory. Anyway, I don't know whether it's actually doing anything. I God, I hope not. We're we're an, uh, we're anyway. an amoeba devel- devouring content on a regular basis. Different parts of our yeah. body moves over to this content and devours it. Then, you know, Game of Thrones is on. Suddenly a whole chunk of the Omiba moves over to this part. <laughs> you know, that's, that's yeah. pretty much that's it. pretty yeah. much what we yeah, are. Is we are a single cell organism devouring food in various different directions. Intellectual, yeah, data food, data food data food in different ways. You're right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much and, it. And disturbing. <laughs> it, it is disturbing. I love how my nights are, are really are really uh, disturbed at, at this. I can't sleep well after we have these conversations. They just play over in my head. It's great. <laughs> right. Well, I'm glad we can help, Jack. Glad we can help. Actually, All right. I, I can make hmm? it worse for Jack. Oh, no. Yes, you can. Okay. All there's... right. So let's go to the last one on Jack's list. Or, sorry, last one on Don's list. Let's hear it. <laughs> the last thing I think that really kind of shaped where we're at is the second Japanese invasion. Okay. Was this was this um, after the two drop bombs that were dropped or Yes, <laughs> it's it's the 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 first Japanese invasion happens in the 60s. 
actually yes, it does early mm-hmm. early like mid mid to late 50s actually but what it was is that when we were kids there was a lot of entertainment that we partook of that came from japan mm-hmm. uh godzilla oh, movies yeah. people know ultraman there were a lot of cartoons that were actually japanese that i didn't even know when i was a kid but what happened was they were always the term we'd use was they were always americanized up because mm-hmm. so, they were hiding that idea that they were from like another country it goes um i remember tim eldred talking about the uh, shogun warriors yes yeah that the shogun five yeah the big shogun warrior toys they just shipped them over here they renamed them but they still had on on their pro wrestling belt looking abdomens they would have the name of the character written in like the symbol from like the the title of the comic it was from because mm-hmm. remember, he said that as a kid, he thought it was amazing. They even invented this weird fake language to put on these awesome toys to make them more authentic. No, uh-huh. t- turns out it was Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> when you get when when you get to the mid '80s, what's happened is there's a fandom that's been trading tapes and stuff from Japan, mm-hmm. and knows it's from Japan. Uh, I remember late '70s, we'd get the model kits. Mm-hmm. And we knew they're from Japan. We didn't know what they were because none of us spoke Japanese at that time. But mm-hmm. we knew there was all this stuff coming from Japan. And then Robotech happens. And they, they Americanize Robotech up too. But when it comes over, everybody knows it's Japanese. Mm-hmm. Partly because we'd seen model kits for all the stuff from it. We know that's not called this. That's called something different. After Robotech, you have kind of amongst like uh, the the nerdly arts, you have kind of a Japanese renaissance. It's a little slow going, but by the early 90s, it's it really starts taking off. And it's people partaking of, of like Japanese comics and cartoons and that, knowing they're from Japan. And what I'm saying is that's important, not just because, and again, a lot of this material had big influences because when you get to like, say the 2000s and you're looking at like things that come down the pike you can see that influence case in point the iron man movie which people consider the first the beginning of the marvel cinematic universe that iron man armor in the movie is not iron man armor from the comic that's night saber armor from bubblegum crisis yeah it is yeah but even the way that when they're showing like tony in the helmet and it's his face with the stuff around him, that was how celia's helmet worked in bubblegum crisis do you think but it's what, purposeful, what, though? Oh, fuck yeah, because Bubblegum Crisis was crazy popular amongst, like, science fiction fans, and I'm betting, like Rob says, all the guys who worked on those effects were fans of this stuff from, like, ten years prior. Wasn't that yeah. uh, John, they actually... John uh, Favreau, mm-hmm. or whatever his name is? What is his Favreau. Favreau. John Favreau. Is he a fan mm-hmm. of, of uh, anime? Bubblegum Crisis, at least, judging from Iron Man. <laughs> Well, yes and no, because remember, he's not the one who actually designs that True. stuff. Mm-hmm. So I would I would argue that what happened is they might not have been directly, rip, quote unquote, ripping from Bubblegum Crisis, but they definitely knew it and they definitely were heavily influenced by it. But it might be one of those things where they kind of, they absorbed it and then they moved on with their lives and they forgot about it. But con- unconsciously, yes, it was influencing the hell of it, but maybe not consciously, right? Yeah. We don't know. We'd have to go look who exactly designed the Iron Man suit and what their background was, etc. And 
the, the version they used in the movie and such. But but there's no question. I mean, that's the thing, right? Anything that came out in the 90s that was, quote-unquote, hard sci-fi had, yeah, spot the night sabers from yep. Robocom <laughs> Crisis and uh, spot the, oh, the, the Moto Slaves. No, not the Moto Slaves. The one from Appleseed. What are they oh, called? Oh, the Landmate. The Landmate. Spot the Landmate from yeah. Appleseed. Because Appleseed was the epitome of cyberpunk style and Bubblegum Crisis was just as popular. And so, so, and it influenced all the anime fans. This is, yeah, I think there is a little thing that you're missing because Mm -hmm. you're Canadian. Uh, We are Canadian. um, Which is the influence that, um, it's not called Adult Swim. What is it? Basically, Cartoon Network. In the 90s, Cartoon Network starts running a Toonami, there it is. Toonami runs a crap ton of anime in the 90s. And that's the thing that like literally lights up the United States with anime fandom. Like never before. Now, like, s- even beyond Robotech and even beyond the other things that came before, Toonami is what does it. Yep. And I'm, Americans. And I'm going to say that the importance of that isn't the influences that the actual shows that had. It was the fact that they were marketing this stuff as Japanese, they no longer felt yeah, the need. Yeah, that was part of the marketing. Yeah, you're yeah. Right. yeah. They didn't feel the need to hide that it came from a foreign land. And I think by the time you get to the 2000s, it's at that point where that kind of pop culture monster is now global. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But but aren't we stepping away from uh, Gen X at this point? Because that's really millennials think... that's 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 getting that. Aren't you safe from and, like and, cartoon? And it is. Yeah. I think. Mil- oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay. You're right. You're right. The millennials are getting it. They're the teenagers at that point. Right. Um, the, yeah, the, you're right. That is more millennial. Jack's got a good point. And they're I th- the ones who grew up in the '90s. Yeah. And I think it's true. And I think again, that's where you can kind of see that transition point. Mm-hmm. Is that again, millennials consume all kinds of stuff. Even that we would find weird. Like I fucking hate K-pop. Like nobody's business. But that's a thing here in North America now. God help us all. As if we didn't but have that's enough. that's actually in... not millennials, I would argue. That's actually Gen Z that loves K-pop. Well, depending on how you do. But it's again, it's that idea that mm. now it's cool to like grasp pop culture from like all over the planet and stuff. Yeah. That because that's... it's global pop culture. It's not North American pop culture anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's where I say that to me is that like, like you said, the, the tsunami boom kind of thing. That was where the value and the transitive power came in is that it made it okay for, for stuff from the other side of the planet to come here as is, that we no longer really felt the need to like doctor it up all that much like, like and, we used to. And to be fair, mm-hmm. K-pop and J-pop for a lot of millennials is just the 90s uh, with, with a different culture. Because that's where you get the Backstreet Boys and you get all that kind of like really yeah. power kind oh, yeah. of thing. Oh, yeah. So I know, for oh, yeah. example, a buddy of mine that I'm trying to get on the show who does board games, his wife is like nuts about K-pop. And she's, Ooh. you know, in her early 40s kind of thing. And she mm-hmm. and her friends, they get together and they talk about all this stuff. And I think ostensibly it's because it's a bit of re- revisiting their youth about when those power boy bands were around and stuff like that, right? And, and girl bands too, yeah. right? So, you know, Spice Girls yeah. and stuff like that. That's not Gen X. That's Millennials. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I totally agree. So in, in that sense, Don, I think he's right. I think the, mm. the 
if the second Japanese invasion of Robotech, Space Cruiser Yamato, and a few things, I think was important, but mm-hmm. I don't think it was, I think it was hugely influential, and it would eventually lead to stuff, but the stuff it led to, I think Jack's right, is more of a millennial thing than it is actually a Gen X thing. We Gen Xers are still the, we're the 80s kids, right? We're the cho- we're still the children of G.I. Joe and the Transformers and the X-Men and that kind of stuff. That's our foundational pop culture, and that. Mm. But that shift is about to start happening, where the as the millennials start to take over, yeah, we're gonna see the the anime cinematic universe and all that kind of stuff, or the Dragon Ball cinematic universe. It's mm. coming. It's they just keep, a question of when. Keep trying. Oh no, they'll make it work. Someday there'll be a big budget Sailor Moon movie that'll make like a billion dollars. How mm. much was the Pikachu movie? Did it do well? It did okay. I don't think it did that well. I, I wouldn't have watched it, but I wouldn't know how well it did. So, Chris, do you know what's weird? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. When you when you mention the Pikachu movie, the, the Detective mm-hmm. Pikachu flick, you know what this means? They're going to be like a big-budget Sailor Moon film that stars Ryan Reynolds because he'll just be in like everything at that point. Sort of, but he'll probably be like one of the lieutenant's bad guys or something like that. It won't he or he'll or Tuxedo Moon. Actually, he's way, he, he he's way, Tuxedo, he, tuxedo Mask. mask sorry. How come yeah. I know Tuxedo Mask and you know Tuxedo? Oh, because my girlfriend was a huge Sailor Moon fan. That's yeah. right. Okay, yeah. There you well, go. well, Sailor Moon literally was like mega ultra huge in the nineties. Yep. Like mm-hmm. it it was in a on almost a scale that even kids today can't imagine the, how big that was. Well, because again, there was less anime, right? So if you were an anime fan, you watched one of these like couple dozen shows. There wasn't that much. It wasn't like there were like thirty new things coming out every three months for you to watch, mm-hmm. it, which is the way it literally is right now. Like there's yeah. like twenty to thirty new series that pop up every three month, every three months. Yeah, Jeez. and that that's how it is right now with anime. Yeah, it's th- that's the thing, right? And it's just. So you got all these anime fans now. They're watching some of the most popular stuff, but they're not watching everything. It's not possible anymore. Yeah, like, it kind of is. You can kind of watch everything if you want. If you have no job and you just can sit around all the time and oh wait, I guess it is possible <laughs> right now. Never mind. But not normally possible. Just during the age, during the time of COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah. Anyway, and so actually, here's an interesting question: Are the kids that are like young right now we'll say uh elementary school students right now are they gen z or actually they the gen after gen z because i but based on based on the structures you guys you jacks presented earlier i think they're actually not gen z i think they're actually the there's a generation after you're right depends what madison avenue decides to market to them yeah, so it'll be interesting mm. to see how this experience in their youth actually. I think it's them called Generation that. Next. I think that's what they're calling them. Something like. Wasn't that I Pepsi? Think they should restart. Yeah. yeah. Pepsi, yeah, exactly. Anyway, on that note, I think we're all getting a little punchy. So, so Don, is there any final thoughts you have about uh, Gen X or do you, anything you want to say to tie this all together before we go? No, I'm a little disturbed that we may have actually figured out how the formula got perfected in the 90s. That's kind of... By talking about the 80s. Yeah, well, I mean, it all feeds into everything. Yeah, it does. It does. And um, everything slowly comes together. Because, mm-hmm. well, remember, the yeah, the, the 90s is the result of the 80s, obviously. Yeah. And the 70s. And so it's all an evolution. Like, even when you were talking earlier about 
you know, how, you know, the machine works to manipulate, how they manipulate people and such. Truth is, there is no they. You mm. even talk about that stuff. There is no they. There's just thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of small people in big organizations doing little things and they all just culminate in all of this stuff. Mm. There is no monolithic creature doing any of this. There's no evil capitalist Illuminati machine doing all this or communist one for that matter. There is just lots and lots of people doing their thing, but there just seems to be a kind of general direction. The herd is moving basically, or is being oriented towards, um, not by any one person, but just by the way the incentive system works and the way our culture is. Right. Hmm. And gen X, we are the result of living through that. Like, I think that a lot of that is something that starts in the seventies and it, it gets, if not started, but it gets perfected during our time. Mm -hmm. So we are the first generation to kind of grow up with it. The millennials are the first generation to grow up with maybe the perf actual perfected version of it. But we got, we basically grew up with 1.0 version of it. Right. Whereas they were still figuring it out because there was no internet and there were no ATMs. And so we, we're, we've got, you know. How, one foot on either side, right? The millennials didn't. The millennials grew up with the internet. They don't know a world without the internet, whereas we do. Yeah, and that's the thing that makes us different than them. Do you know who the grandfather of all of this is? Who? Ronald Reagan. Because he he uh, he's the one who made it easy for them to do all of this advertising on kids' television mm. shows. He got rid of all of those rules and regulations to do it. It's well, true. he signed it, but yeah. But true. is he the cause or is he a symptom? Well, I would say if he uh, initiated the opportunity for it to do it, he mm -hmm. certainly is one of the causes that allow this this to happen in that respect. Mm -hmm. um, if, he, if he wasn't there, uh, or at least uh, somebody like him wasn't there, uh, they wouldn't have been able to have all that advertising, that that children's advertising that, that caused all this stuff, that, that, that set it all in motion in that respect. It's, it's true, but he did get elected by the public, which meant that something about him appealed to him. So that's why I say he could be like the symptom. Sure. I just don't think the public even, I don't think any of us knew what we had in, in store. Well, I don't think we ever I do. I agree with that. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we do either. Yeah, I, I don't think we do. And on that note, who knows what the future may bring? Tune in to the next episode of the Department of Nerdly Affairs and find out. <laughs> Thanks, Jack, for coming on once again. Thanks, Don, for putting this uh, show idea together. And thank you, listener, for hanging out with us. And if you have any uh, comments or thoughts, if you're a Gen Xer, or if you want to say, okay, Gen Xers, or something like that, um, <laughs> oh, please drop by obeythedna.com and leave a message or comment or show note. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, next time, see you later. Bye. Always fun, folks. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!